0: Hello and welcome to the final episode of season one. I could not think of anyone more fitting to be my final guest for this season than Naya Lect. Naya is the director of education at Club Z and is an outspoken Zionist. Welcome Naya. So today's title is very fitting for for both myself and for Naya. And it's a topic that has long been in the making to discuss publicly, critically, and and honestly. And the topic is why Zionism education needs an overhaul. So take it away, Naya. I would like to know a little bit more about what was your journey to Zionism?
1: Lorraine, thank you so much for having me. Um, It's my pleasure. And I really uh, admire that you are doing this really important work. Um, So I'll just say that um, for me, Zionism didn't, wasn't part of my profession. It just was part of who I was since I was a small girl. Um, you know, I, I, I'm from the former Soviet Union. I came to this country when I was six years old from uh, Ukraine. At that time, it was the Soviet Union. And from the moment that we came here, it was very much imparted onto me why we came, that we were Jews, that um, the state of Israel is central to our Jewish identity. Uh, my grandfather is um, a holocaust survivor he fled from what was then Poland um, when the nazis had invaded and he fled east towards the soviet union his family perished in different ways but under the nazis and, and he survived and and my childhood was really spent so much with my grandfather and he told me about Zev Jabotinsky and Menachem Begin, and he—you know—the I mean, the word Zionism was part of our vocabulary in at home, um, and so the first time that I encountered it in a negative way was outside of the home. Inside of our home, it was, it was, uh, it was kind of like a mama lotion. A mama lotion is the uh, mother tongue. Um, Zionism was part of our mama lotion. So, um, so my journey to to Zionism um, is began at home, but was really, the catalyst was seeing what was happening um, on college campuses. And that's when I started to think something is going on, something is terrible is happening in the United States of America. Um, they were calling it anti-Zionism. They were saying it's not anti-Semitism. And the first time I had encountered it again was when I was um, in college.
0: Yeah. And. So first of all, it's so wonderful that in your family, Zionism was so strong, that it was part and parcel of your family culture. Now, going forward, you said, you know, you noticed that um, it was anti-Zionism, anti-Semitism in college. Was there one incident that you remember, or was it more of an overall experience
1: so I went to college, not to date myself, but I'm going to right now, um, around 2001, 2002. And I believe that this is the kind of origin story of anti-Zionism, not anti-Semitism, but anti-Zionism. Two events clashed and became kind of the perfect storm. And they were the Second Intifada in 2009-11. And I was an undergrad in the Bay Area up in uh, UC Santa Cruz. And I was uh, just, you know, studying literature. That was my major. And I saw a uh, kind of um, a student event. And it was basically before there was Israel apart that week, it wasn't yet instituted. They had these makeshift checkpoints that these students um, at that time, it was MSA Muslim Student Alliance or Association. So it was before SJP, and they had these terrible kind of um, demonstrations where they would pretend that these are checkpoints, and people, students, would be walking by, and they would take them and, and pretend that there was a checkpoint. And I remember thinking, "What is what is this? This is crazy." And then I saw um, they had posters with fake blood with hands, and it said, "Israel has blood on its hands," and I was I was shocked to my to my core because. I went to a Jewish day school in the United States of America. I went to a high school with 85% plus Jewish uh, population. I'd never experienced anything like this. And I remember that was one event. And another really, really kind of powerful and chilling event was there was an imam who came to speak to us. And he said, everybody who's a Jew stand up. And I don't know why we did, but we did. We stood up, I stood up. It was, why did we comply? I have no idea. We stood up in this auditorium and he pointed his fingers, said you, 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 we will get our land back from you thieves. And I went to Hillel. I went to Hillel on campus because at that time, I'm not home. My Jewish home away from home is Hillel, right? This is my mother and my father, kind of surrogate mother and father is Hillel. Uh, we didn't yet have a Chabad on campus. And I came to the Hillel director and I expressed deep concern. And what I got was, this is not anti-Semitism. This is anti-Zionism. This is criticism of, this, of the government of Israel. And, um, and don't make a big scene. And, and if you're going to make it, you're gonna, just going to make it worse for Jewish students. And I, So I didn't have the vocabulary or the knowledge that I have today. But I knew in my gut that this is blatant Jew hatred you can call it anything you want. you can call it judeophobia, anti-Semitism, anti-zionism, but it looks and feels the same way and 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 so what I did is I started my own student group on campus um, because I just I wasn't happy. I wasn't satisfied with the what what the Jewish organizations were offering at that time. and yeah, so that was the, that was when I remember, um, the first time, you know, hearing Zionism is racism, I had never heard that before. Because remember, I grew up in a house where Zionism was just the most beautiful thing. Um, just it, it was it was alien to me. I didn't understand. But what I did understand was that this was not right. This was unethical. This was an attack on my Jewish identity.
0: Well, first of all, you know, I'm very proud that you started your own organization when you saw the failure of the others. And we're going to get in depth about Jewish organizations and how they've essentially failed our students and have are culpable, for lack of better words, in re-energizing the anti-Semitism that is now widespread all over America. And we can also talk about UC Berkeley and what's going on there and the near silence and not even silence, but we'll also get into how certain Jewish publications are hiding facts about that hate a little bit later on in our talk. So what you were experiencing in 2001, 2002 in your college experience, it's okay to date yourself. I'm about the same age. I went to college 2000 to 2004, but my experience in college in undergrad was completely different, right? Like I was not very much part of the Jewish community, if at all, none of my friends were Jewish. I knew that there was a hell on campus didn't really care about them. And there was no real anti-Semitism. There was an MSA, the Muslim student association group, I think did one little, uh, I don't know, rally on campus when something was happening with Israel. And I didn't even know, right? Like this is how disconnected I was to Israel. I didn't even know like what was going on back there, but they were angry about something. And I remember that Hillel was out there within five minutes, maybe a hundred students strong and shut down that rally real quick. And this probably was my sophomore year, never heard of MSA again. So my journey to Zionism was completely the opposite of yours. And I'm actually so proud that being from the Soviet Union, you actually not only knew that you were Jewish, uh, tapped into your Zionism and had that support from your family. Now, I'm first-generation American, so my parents were born in Belarus. They came over in 79. I was born in 82. I had no clue that I was Jewish until about seven, eight years old. And the way I found out was, I think, rather interesting. I know we talked about this a little bit off record. I was watching Lassie, which was a very wholesome show back in the 80s. And the main character was little Timmy, a white Christian boy. And every night before bed, he would just get on his knees and pray to Jesus. What does an impressionable seven or eight year old child do? They copy, right? They want to be what they see on television. And so I did just that, that on my knees, crossed myself, pray to Jesus, actually said the name Jesus. And I did this for, I think a good two to three weeks. And then one night my father's walking by my room and says to me, what are you doing? I said, oh, dad, I'm praying to Jesus before bed. Like literally like, and I'm crossing myself as, as I'm doing this. And he gives me a very stern look and says, we need to have a talk. And so we did. And I found out I was a Jew. I was fascinated. I wanted to know everything. And I was obsessed and I remember, you know, every television show that would have, quote unquote, like Jewish last names, which to me, all those Jewish last names were mostly Ashkenaz, you know, like being in America. Mm-hmm. So every time I would see like a Goldberg or a, a, any last name with a wits at the end, I, I would get so excited. And fast forward to about eighth grade, I was a little bit nerdy in the mornings before school. I would ask my parents to drop me off in, this, in um, the library early. And I'd get there maybe like 30 minutes before homeroom. And I remember reading Shalom Aleichem novels, like all those little short stories. And I was so ensconced into European Jewish title life. I knew more than any of my peers who were some of them who were Jewish. And I would regale my best friend. I'm sure she was bored (laughs) at lunch with all the stories I had read. I had picked up Yiddish. In parts, my grandmother, both my grandparents at the time, uh, you know, were alive and they spoke Yiddish. Uh, They were very proud that suddenly their granddaughter, who didn't know she was a Jew, you know, just a few years ago, suddenly was uh, inflecting conversations with Yiddish. So I was begging my parents to send me to Hebrew school, right? Like I'm Jewish, my Jewish friends go to Hebrew school, my Christian friends all go to CCB. And my father said basically, hell no. <laughs> he said, the rabbi in our town is very liberal. And we only had one synagogue. There was, and like you said, there was no Chabad back then. Now we have Chabad. Now the town where I grew up had, we have two rabbis actually on our street. And so, yeah, so I wasn't sent to Hebrew school. And my bat mitzvah age was rapidly approaching. And, you know, I, I wanted to partake in, in, in the religious experience. So, like, again, I brought it up around 12 years old. I said, you know, like, people are getting bat mitzvah next year. Could we hire a private tutor? I was babysitting at the time. I said, I'll help pay for the tutor, anything. And, again, they said, no, but we'll do one better. We're going to take you to Israel, and you're going to have a transliterated bat mitzvah on top of the Masada. Wow wow okay great you know like no one else was doing that so we did <laughs> off to Israel we went it was my first international trip we rented a rabbi as if you're gonna like rent a pair of shoes right so it was a rabbi very unconventional by the way he was a rabbi slash tour guide he had this white van it we were the only Jewish family in that group I remember actually there was a German old couple who definitely were alive during the Showa because they were in their eighties and this was 1995 and we went to visit Yad Vashem. They refused to get out. And my father yelled at the couple and he's like, you're Nazi. <laughs> get out. You know, like we, you know, we, he, we were, he was very offended anyway. So I loved Israel. I remember being on top of Masada, and the rabbi was talking about aunt Frank and he did that because he knew that I had just learned, you know, about aunt Frank's story. And I wasn't really paying attention to that because, you know, I already read the book. I knew all about it. But what I kept looking was at the Masada as a whole and imagining all the Judean warriors that he had just talked about previously. That's who I was envisioning was surrounding me as I was having this ceremony. And I remember feeling very empowered. And again, like not realizing why. I was just so enamored with that story of the Judeans. And the sacrifices that they made so fast forward so this is okay so i'm 13 i'm in israel and for the next 20 years i'm just inundated by anti-semitic media right i'm watching the new york uh, i'm sorry i'm watching um cnn i'm reading the new york times reading the economist which for many who don't know i don't know what it is now i don't read it but it was fairly anti-israel and i just took it for for its word. And, and that was it. And so, you know, I went off to college. Uh, people would ask me, you know, I, I often was the only Jewish person in a friend group. And it's not like anyone that I was friends with was anti-Semitic, but, you know, they would read things in the news, watch things. And anytime something was associated with Israel, they would turn to me and say, can you explain a little bit more? And I did, but from an anti-Semitic slant, right? Because I would say, oh, you know, Israel is occupying the Palestinians. Now I know, obviously, (laughs) that they're not a distinct ethnicity. Back then, I did not. And we'll talk more later in this conversation about why it's so important to use correct terminology, not to confuse people. And to be honest with you in the audience, it wasn't just like, you know, like I always say, like, oh, it's CNN, it's New York Times, that's not the whole story. It was also Jews that I was surrounded by, you know, that were in my periphery that were also using that terminology. You know, it was coming from APAC, from ZOA and, and any other organization that was, you know, prominent at that time. So if Jewish leaders, if Jewish organizations are using that term, how is that incorrect? That's what I thought. So yeah, so I would tell my friends that Palestinians were being occupied that there were legal settlements. Um, I did not you even discuss this
1: with your parents.
0: No, no, you know, like we discussed a lot of politics. Um, the only Zionism that we talked about in my household every year, I remember at David Adom would send an envelope, and every year my parents would send a check to them. Mm-hmm. That was it. And also, my, and by the way, my grandmother lived in Italia for 13 years, but Again, like, you know, we would talk to her, she would never talk about Zionism and I would just care about Israel that it would be okay. You know, every time a skirmish would happen, every time a war, but if it was not a war, if it was not a skirmish, out of sight, out of mind. And we'll talk a little bit more in the conversation because I think it's really important. Like why so many American Jews have that distant hand with Israel, right? Like for me, like I grew up very secular. Like I said, I didn't know that I was Jewish. So for me, like Israel, because I didn't know better, Israel was only for religious Jews. I was running around thinking I was white racially. I had no idea that, that being Jewish is a race. It's uh, ethnicity. So I thought I was this like white girl. When people would ask me, what's my background? I wouldn't even blink. And I would say, oh, I'm Russian as if like I'm Slavic, <laughs> which obviously you and I are not. So, you know, I had this huge disconnect. So fast forward, I mean, I I did so much damage, right? (laughs) Like already, like I'm, and it's not just like, it's one thing if my friends were Jews, right? I was friends with mostly non-Jews. And so all the information they were getting about Israel was completely in card confirmation. And because I was Jewish, I am Jewish, it was lending legitimacy, right? Like it's one thing when like a Muslim lies about Israel. Exactly. But when a Jew an organization that's Jewish, a uh, uh, individual that's Jewish lies about Israel, either knowingly or unknowingly, it legitimizes the lies. And that's the scariest part. So one story I do want to end off, you know, here it's 2013. Natan Sharansky came to New York City to speak. And you know, I being Russian Jewish, I knew his name growing up. My parents would mention his name occasionally. But the real reason I went to listen to him was because I wanted to confront him <laughs> about the illegal settlements. And so I listened to his speech and I remember thinking, and again, like this is a Jewish hero, right? Like, like a, a hero to our, to our people. And all I kept thinking was like, oh, he needs to like hurry up with this speech. Like I, w- I was literally like half paying attention and I could not wait for the Q and a session. So the Q and a session comes, I raise my hand so high and proud And I was spared embarrassment because another ignorant Jew asked the exact same question I wanted to ask about the legal settlements. And Natan looked at him as if he were crazy, because we we were to think all all the lies about the legal Jewish communities. And so Natan said just that. He said, there's no such thing as legal settlements. Those are legal Jewish communities. And here you have an expert speaking, and one would think that that would satisfy me. It did not. I remember leaving the event angry. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, Sharansky is just like a puppet of Israel. He was sent here to do Hasbara. And we'll talk a little bit more just like, you know, ourselves and for the audience about the word Hasbara and what that means, what we'll get into that. And, you know, and then there was a very fast turnaround. So about eight months later, it was 2014, it was the Hamas war, the first Hamas war. I came back from work. I turned on CNN as per usual, and they were giving airtime to Hamas officials and no airtime to anyone from Israel. And and like by that time, I kind of knew something was amiss. Something didn't sit right with me. And so I went on Facebook at the time. This is so laughable because like now I have a lot of real Israeli friends in person. By the time, I only had about three friends in Israel and only online. And I remember one woman posting videos from her backyard where the rockets were flying over. And I was thinking to myself, wait, what she's posting is nothing what CNN is showing. And why is that? Like, I wanted to learn more. So I joined all these secret pro-Israel groups on Facebook. And I wanted to find out more about the conflict, or as I used to call it, the conflict. I don't agree with that term. It's a war in Jews. So I did a lot of research and I would find out little facts about Israel and every little fact I share, I learned, I shared with my network at the time and it would be like once a week, once a day became a mini obsession. I would just, every, anytime I had free time from work, I would just share, share away because I said to myself this, you know, I'm educated. I had a master's at the time. If I don't know any of this information, how many other people don't know either? And so I was doing online work only um, for about, I would say, like seven years. And then in 2019, after Rashida Tlaib said her famous comments about the Holocaust, right, and how welcoming the Arabs were and how comforted she was about the Holocaust, I wrote my first op-ed and it was called, If My... Great uncle was a Palestinian Jew. Who are you, Rashida Tlaib? And I remember doing so much research for that article. And I, what, what, I, what my intention was, was to fill in the blanks, right? Because all I kept hearing growing up and as an adult too from various Jewish organizations was biblical time Jews, Bible, 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 Israelites and the Hebrews. And then suddenly 1948, mm-hmm. where were those 2000 years? right? And so, so many people accept the lie that, oh, all the Jews were exiled, right? And who moved in? The Arabs. And the Jews only came back in 1945 as victims of the Holocaust. And that's what I, like many other people, believe. So then, although they weren't stealing back the homeland, but like suddenly we're in a position, if you believe the lies, of stealing property that was someone else's for 2,000 years. So I thought the best way to do it is to really hone in that Jews have had a continuous presence in Israel on Israeli soil. Not one year was Jew free. And what were those events? Like, what were the key events in that 2,000 year time span? So I was writing op heads, posting online, doing my usual for the past couple of years. And I said to myself, you know why I'm not satisfied with any Jewish organization that I'm part of. I've tried them all. Um, well, obviously not club C because I was not a teenager, but any organization for adult tried them all. And I realized like they are not using the correct terminology. I'm not learning anything about that 2000 year time span. Why don't I try something on my own? And so I did. So last uh, year Actually, last December, I launched Taking Back the Narrative, the Zionism Education Initiative, and that's been my focus, just filling in that historical time span of 2,000 years and very much emphasizing correct terminology. So that was my very long <laughs> journey into Zionism. I, um, as you were talking, I had
1: so many things that I want to ask you, but w- just ask slash observe I would have wanted to be a fly on the wall when your dad explained to you that you were a Jew, because I'm just curious, how would a Russian speaker, because I have kind of my own theories, how would a Russian speaking Jew explain being a Jew to his child? Um, Because American Jews have a very different understanding of what it means to be a Jew to Russian speaking Jews. So I would have just loved um, to be a fly on the wall just to hear, I mean, I don't, if you remember,
0: do you remember how? Yeah, many- actually, actually I do. And it, it was done from a very Russian point of view, right? Like some, some people would call it anti-Semitic, right? So on Russian passports, Jews would have a J, you know, for Jew, um, to distinguish them from, from, you know, from Belarusians, from other Slavs. And actually my mother told me in years, in recent years that growing up because there was so much anti-Semitism. You know, during her childhood and even more so during her young adult years in Belarus, she was so jealous of her Belarusian friends because she didn't want that J. She didn't want anyone to know that she was she was Jewish, right? So the way my dad explained it to me, he explained to me correctly that we're people that you are a Jew, not that your religion is Jewish. You know, the religious part, I didn't know until later. And that's why I'm still learning about holidays during this day. You and I had uh, several conversations and I'm fascinated, right? Like I didn't even know about Purim until 10 years ago. Um, Sukkot followed shortly after that. I'm still finding out about holidays. So it's a slow process, but it's it's been just such like a wonderful experience to tap into our peoplehood. And we're both in that education space. So that brings me to the next, I think, very important topic: what is Zionism, and why is Zionism not a dirty word? So, I'm gonna have you take that step at it.
1: So, here's the thing: um, when I when I was in college, um, I told you that was the first time that I encountered that Zionism is something bad, that Zionism is somehow something dirty, and I remember I really was I didn't understand, and I remember at that time there was something called take back the night. There was this thing. And I think it was um, it was an initiative had nothing to do with being Jewish or religion. It was more to bring um, spotlight kind of victims of rape. It was called take back the night. And I said to, and, you know, we had a student group and I said, we need to take back the night. We need to take back that word, like taking back the narrative, right? We need, we need to take back the word. So what is Zionism? Listen. I, I say to my students, raise your hand if you, you face to Jerusalem when you pray. Raise your hand when you go to a wedding and somebody, um, stu- uh, and the man uh, cr- uh, crushes the, the, the glass. Raise your hand if you say next year in Jerusalem at the end of the Seder. Raise your hand if um, uh, you've ever heard if uh, you know by the rivers of, of Babylon, there we wept. Mm-hmm. If you raised your hand for all these that you've observed in any life cycle of, of, of either a bar mitzvah or a wedding or a Shabbat, you are a Zionist. The Zionism is integral to Jewish identity. Zionism is to be a Jew. Now, it, it gets complicated because there are non-Jewish Zionists, and we can discuss what that means later. But it's part of your identity. Now, what does it mean to be a Zionist? To be a a Zionist is the belief that the Jewish people deserve, just like any other people, the return to not just any land, their ancestral homeland, their ancestral indigenous homeland of Judea and Samaria, the land of Israel. That is what Zionism is. Sadly, it has been completely co-opted. It's been manipulated and Even I've I've encountered students who later tell me, you know, Naya, before coming to Club Z, I thought Zionism was something bad. Mm -hmm. It it was something bad. Um, The thing is, a lot of people say Zionism is a social justice movement. Zionism is a restoration of, of a persecuted peoples. Yes, but I believe Zionism is integral to Jewish identity. It's part of being part of the people, peoplehood. So that is what Zionism is. Zionism is the belief
0: that the Jewish people could live in freedom with self-determination in their ancestral homeland. Absolutely. And, you know, I'm going to just add on to what you said because I I agree with everything you said. And to me, it's the self-determination of Jews to have sovereignty on their ancestral homeland. And that's exactly why it's not just for Jews to be Zionists, right? That's why anyone can be Zionist. In fact, um, I mean, I don't know how she's going to do domestically. I know there's a lot of issues in in England right now in the UK. But Liz Truss, the new prime minister, she just gave a speech. um, I hope I'm going to get the name correctly. The Conservative Friends for the Israel Alliance. Someone needs to check that group. But apparently they're a great group in in the UK. And so she was giving a speech to them. And she said, I am a proud Zionist, right? She's not Jewish. We know a lot. You and I know a lot of... um, Non Jews who are Zionists. And so it's anyone, right? Anyone who has that belief that Jews have the right to self govern on their ancestral homeland. It's yes. just that. Everyone, every nation, every nationality, right? Like the French have a right to self sovereignty in France, the Brazilians have self sovereignty to their land, and so on and on. Right, And so why is every other group allowed to have rights in their homeland, but we're the ones, we're the only ones who keep getting denied that right?
1: Well, I think that there are two reasons. One is people who are very misinformed about who the Jews are. The Jews are a people and people come from a land. They originate from places. We have an ethnogenesis in the land of Israel. Mm -hmm. Um, Our national identity is tied to the land of Israel. Um, so a lot of people don't understand. They believe that being a Jew is a religion. And, you know, religions may originate or come from certain regions of the world, but religions don't really have a claim to sovereignty, yeah. um, right? So so if you see the Jewish people as, as a religious minority, um, which unfortunately that's how it is categorized in the United States of America, if you look at FBI, even hate crime uh, reports against Jews, we are seen as um, uh, uh, they're categorized as Hate against a religious minority, and so that's why I believe personally that anti-Zionism gets missed a lot of times by hate crime um, uh, statistics. So, anyways, the, my point is is that when you view it solely as a religion, it it gets missed. This idea that this is a people, and people are tied to a land. So that's that's really one big answer, exactly. which is people are just don't know who the Jews are, and the second is really malicious people who are Jew haters know exactly what they're doing and they do not want Jews to have self-determination in the land of Israel and so they're proudly anti-Zionist they're proudly Jew haters those are the two kinds of people who do not support Zionism you know a lot of people who are misinformed and a lot of people who are not who are doing it intentionally that's what I believe
0: No, and that's true. And so, you know, and like I mentioned before, I really believe having been on both sides of the spectrum, 80%, 70 to 80% of American Jews fall into that first category, right? Like, obviously, they know that we come from Israel, but they don't feel that connection. So they feel, okay, well, I'm not religious, just like I did when I was younger. So I'm not religious. Mm, Israel's for religious Jews, what do I have, right? And there are many people who know exactly, like you said, that, you know, Jews come from Israel, but they're trying to disassociate Jews. A good example that's happening right now, that's trending in the news, Connie West and his comments. Well, he didn't think of those himself when he said, Oh, I can't be anti-Semitic. I'm black. So then I'm a Semite. That all comes from the black Hebrew Israelites. Right. right. So that, that's why it's so dangerous when people latch on to well, you know, you guys are European Jews and there were these people called the Hebrews and the Israelites, but the ancient Israelites, right? And the modern Jews, they're from Khazar and all those anti-Semitic theories, which by the way, for the audience has been massively (laughs) disproven. Uh, The Khazar, the king did convert to Judaism. Most of his subjects did not. It was not forced conversion whatsoever. They actually now, the descendants of the Khazars live in Crimea they were beaten by the Russians, and because they, they did, you know, they were they had a great affinity for Jews. Jews who had come from Persia on that Silk Route ended up in the Khazarian Empire and its um, and the land around it. Um, so when they got to Crimea, they were, you know, very, you know, they they, they had this affinity for Jews. So some of them intermarried with Jews. And so there is this group, I forgot the name of it. I think it's called the Kermat, kermat Jews. I'm I'm going to actually, I'm probably going to link to them. They're the only group of any sub uh, group of the Jewish diaspora that has any ties to the Khazars. And they're very much centralized to Crimea. So the, the, that needs to be, and I have like so many Jewish friends now on Facebook, they still think that like the Khazar theory is true and that's dangerous, right? Like we ourselves need to know who we are, right? And then, you know, the theory that, oh, Jews are from Europe. What about the Mizrahi Jews? Why, why are we not talking about them, right? You're, you know, uh, Ashkenazi Jews are actually the minority of the world Jewry. You know, the majority of Jews are Mizrahi and Sephardim right. and, and it's a little it's a little confusing for, you know, for myself sometimes, too, because, you know, I in the past decade, you know, was so accustomed to saying Ashkenazi Jews, Mizrahim Jews, Sephardim. But in Israel, now they're lumping Sephardic Jews with Mizrahi and they're all calling themselves Sephardic. But either way, they make up the majority. Israel, right? Israel is what? It's 61 percent Sephardic Jews. Absolutely. What is Israel's culture? Israel's culture is Sephardic, right? Sephardic music, Sephardic food. And thank God, right? Like at least, you know, I can appreciate my grandmother's cooking, but at the same time, I'm very glad when I go to Israel and it has food with flavor in there, you know? So, and you feel like when you go to Israel, you're, you literally feel like you're in a Middle Eastern country because it is, Israel is part of the Middle East. Absolutely, One of the original Middle Eastern countries that's still has survived and thrived. So I, and I think that's so important is to, again, like take back the dirty aspect of Zionism and we should be proud. We should be proud Zionists, like you're a proud Zionist. And just to add a little bit more, I didn't have a chance to in the beginning. One of the reasons that I was drawn to you as a Zionist was ACM conference, the American Zionist um, movement conference, and there was a slew of speakers. You were one of the speakers. Your speech had such an impact on me because you were talking about Jewish pride. You were talking about having strength. No one else was talking about that. No one else like even mentioned Zionism. Everyone was just like, oh, you know, patting themselves, their organizations in the back, what they did for Israel, right? Like we're not here to help Israel. Like what we're here to do is combat anti-Semitism. And the best way to combat anti-Semitism, a, being a strong Jew, right? Like mentally, physically, right? like knowing how to defend yourself, not to be weak, not to be helpless and having that very strong sense of identity. And you just personified that mm-hmm. in that speech. And I remember writing yeah, I and- be a little hardcore,
1: but yeah,
0: no, it was amazing. No, I'm, I'm telling you, it was what everyone attending that conference needed to hear. And I remember writing your name down and thinking, hmm, I should contact her in the future. And so just the way we became connected, I I thank you so much. Like, we need people like you who are unapologetic to design. And I, and I try to do that too, right? You know, like um, the pronouns right now are so popular. Like, oh, what's your pronoun? What's your pronoun? First of all, I don't engage in that for various reasons. But sometimes I like to play with that, right? So if someone says like, oh, what's your pronoun? I said, okay. My pronoun is a Jew. If you want another pronoun, my pronoun is a Zionist. There you go. (laughs) Those are my pronouns. And so what do you think the media gets wrong about Israel, about Zionism in general? Um, And I know that's a very loaded question. Very Uh, big question. I do want to return to just a
1: small topic about how American Jews conceptualize Israel. And this isn't made to to make American Jews feel bad, not at all. I'm I'm glad, first of all, I'm so thankful for American Jews. You know, I saw the movie Nick when I was in grad school. And that's when I realized how much American Jews did for the Soviet Jews. And every time I meet uh, an American Jew in a certain age bracket, I'm like, thank you so much. Even if you weren't, you know, out there uh, rallying for, for the Soviet Jews, I thank them so, so much. But, you know, I've been given a sort of gift, and that is I I've encountered so many students, teens, working at Club Z. And most of them are from Russian-speaking homes, but a lot of them are from American homes. And this one particular student came to me, and she was in our program for many years, and she said, you have just a very different way of approaching Jewish identity. And I said, tell me more. And she said, well, I went to a Jewish day school for all these years and for us. And, you know, she's very witty. She said, this is how we, how they, you know, made us feel proud. Golda was a woman and Herzl had a dream. And that was it. Golda was a woman and Herzl had a dream period. And then she said, and also the way that Israel was conceptualized, it was the Promised Land. It was somewhere there. It wasn't part of us here. It was like Israel's is where you go um, to put a note in the wall. Israel's is where you go to have a bar about mitzvah, and then you come back to America, you know, in your safe America and you know luxurious whatever abode. Um, but Israel's is something there. And she said, the first time I encountered that Israel's is not something that's a uh, kind of an appendage that's like away from you with with you through club C. So I I thought of that for many, many years. And the reason I bring it up here today is because I always think like, what is it that we, or I, as somebody of a child of immigrants, I'm an immigrant, but I came here as a small, you know, small child. I didn't really live in the Soviet system, but what can I impart, what can I do and how could I help, um, this generation understand to be, as you say, proud Zionists. And one thing is for sure not to do is Golda was a woman and Herzl had a dream, which is, you know, the only reason we're proud of Golda is because she's a woman. And the only reason we're proud of Herzl is he dared to have a dream. It's very American, right? And also
0: just to interject a little bit, um, I have very strong opinions about, and I know this is going to sound controversial and it's kind of meant to, I'm actually gonna have a whole podcast episode on this in season two. But I look, Herzl did good, but I think that too many Jews, especially too many Zionist Jews, they kind of put him on an altar. Yes. And that should not be the case, right? Yes. Like enough time has passed, and I think we need to reexamine our lauding of Herzl because it also erases so many other Jews. Who contributed so much to the liberation of Israel not the establishment right the liberation of Israel and also the Mizrahi Jews right like they get erased when only talking about Herzl so there's a lot to unpack about her I just had to bring it up when no you no Herzl. you're not wrong
1: if I reflect back on my own childhood and I went to Jewish day school if I didn't have parents from the former Soviet Union and just regular I literally thought that Herzl when when they taught it to us, I thought he invented the idea of Jews having a, a, a home. Oh, like, exactly. Yeah, okay. him, there was nothing.
0: I yeah, and that's what I thought. I thought there was like no land there. I thought Herzl had some dream in Switzerland, yes. and he like magically like created Israel. And the, the, I'm telling you that that's that's what I thought. Yes,
1: yes, and it's and it's and it's a big big um, detriment to our education because. As I say, if you start with Herzl, if you start with the 19th century, you are gonna end up with settler colonialism. You're gonna end up with, you know, with, 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 with seeing Zionism as all these horrible things. Um, which brings us to your question about the media. So why, why, what's going on with the media? Um, well, I think that the media is very much shaped by um, neo-Marxist forces what i mean by that is uh these uh really intellectual educated individuals who are writers or journalists who are op-ed um writers go to these universities and learn about how to view the world through a very actually um basic and almost primitive lens and that is power and powerlessness those who have power bad Those who don't have power, good. Underdogs are good. Those who have power are bad. You cannot deny that Israel is the powerful country. Mm -hmm. Israel has the powerful, uh, in terms of uh, the army, it has a a, a powerful uh, IDF, thank God. It has amazing technology. It has a wonderful economy. It has a vibrant democracy. And so in their eyes, the way that they're approaching it, they see Israel as this this belligerent force, this force that is foreign, because they see the Jews there as transplants from Europe. Um, that's that's a lie that they've been 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 kind of told, um, and 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 they and they see the the Palestinians as the underdog. Uh, this coming from the UN, you know, this idea that you know the UN has a, its own definition for the refugees who are uh, Palestinian Arab refugees. Mm-hmm. They have their own definition. But a lot of people don't know that. And they run around thinking, oh, my God, there's 10 million Palestinian refugees in this in this world who were kind of who were displaced because of the creation of Israel. This is nonsense. These are lies. But, you know, I don't know who said it. You say a lie meant you don't have you keep on repeating the lie. Just people will think it's the truth. And so the media and I don't know what the, at this point is, is the chicken or the egg, but, you know, <laughs> with the media, but at this point, I, it's very difficult to trust the media as a source, both because they are shaped by a lens that is Marxist, that, that immediately says, well, those who have power must be corrupt. And those who don't have power are the underdogs. And we must, uh, you know, uh, break through uh, systems of oppression. We must dismantle, uh, systems of oppression, you know, Israel's being the oppressor, and that's it. They just repeat this narrative. Um, that's just it's 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 as simple as that. That I don't think there's something kind of really more deep in terms of what's happening with the media.
0: And I agree with you. Um, I I'm going to take it from a slightly different angle, and so of course, like you mentioned, the UN, right? So I think people in the media, the executives in the media, right? They take what the UN says, they take what governmental agencies say, they Read NGO statements, right? Like you have Amnesty International that just went ballistic against Israel and said that Israel is mistreating uh, the Arabs who live there and all such nonsense. And then you had Mohammed Kabia, who's my favorite Muslim Zionist, who was a, a right hand advisor to Netanyahu, who uh, served in the IAF, right? Like probably more Zionist than like 95% of the Jews that I know, uh, more brave than I. I've never served Israel he came out just blazing against Amnesty International and he said, who are you to call me a Palestinian? I am no such thing. I have thousands of years of proud Bedouin blood in me and I'm a proud Israeli. I'm a a Muslim. I'm Israeli, but what I'm not, I'm not a Palestinian. Right. And so Amnesty International has a lot of power even right now, right? Like Amnesty came out with a report on, I want to say the um, either the Iranian protest, so something I I read, like that's obviously going on the news right now and I'm reading it and I'm thinking, oh shoot, did I just read something from Amnesty international, right? Like even I have to stop myself sometimes, um, you know, the New York times, I read the New York times my whole life. And I thought if it's in the New York times, it has to be it. Like now, you know, obviously I stopped my subscription to that paper, that rag, as I call it in 2014, because I said to myself, if they're lying about Israel, what else are they lying about? So now like, I can't believe anything they're saying. So I think it's also a lot of those think tanks in America. And my audience knows I'm a Republican, but a lot, you know, and I'm part of some think tanks, but some of them, even on the right, left, right, they get Israel wrong. And mm-hmm. I'm actually part of the Center for Security Policy. I can't tell you, and they're pro-Israel, but I can't tell you the amount of times I've written to them to correct their op-eds. That they write on Israel policy, they still like don't truly understand why security measures are needed in Judea and Samaria. You know, they think some policies are a little quote unquote harsh, or why did Israel, you know, uh, topple down a media building in Gaza when it was actually run by Hamas, right? So even these quote unquote smart people, they don't understand. Another aspect, I think, from a personal point of view it's anti-Semitic and it's not true. Jews do not run the media. I think if Jews actually ran the media, we wouldn't have all the anti-Semitism we see. Well, if we do, we really suck at it. Exactly. However, I think we should be honest with ourselves. Look at NBC, look at CNN, right? Under Zucker, other prominent media, like I'm talking about from an American perspective, maybe they're not run by Jews, but they certainly have a lot of Jews in positions of power, right? Like on their executive committee, maybe their producers, right? And so those Jews either grew up not understanding what Zionism is, not being proud of being Zionists. They went to colleges, right? Like my sister, great example. She went to Duke University and my parents were thrilled. Like we're sending her to looks like a Christian college. Maybe she's going to become conservative and the complete opposite happened, right? Because who, who would have predicted that even Duke University would have a leftist turn? So remember she called us and told us, Oh, I'm going to take a class on the Middle East conflict because I generally want to learn more. Uh-oh. She wants to learn. Oh, yeah, oh, it gets worse. So she took this semester long class and became super anti Israel. And I said, Where is this coming from? And she said, Oh, but did you read this book and that book and this book? but my professor, was is Jewish. So if my Jewish professor is saying X, Y, Z about Israel and these books, and then, you know, later on, and, you know, I believed her, but then later on when I became active um, in the Zionism space, I looked up those books. I looked up those authors. They're self-hating Jews in, in Tel Aviv, right? And what is predominantly like even for sourcing, right? Like I did a lot of research for my website to fill in the historical gaps and I wanted a slew of different sources. I didn't want just everything to be Jewish-based because my audience is not just Jewish. And the first thing one does for academic research is to go to JSTOR. It's an For those who don't know, it's an academic online uh, research center or re- research source. Article after article, I read about Israel-related um, historical uh, you know, events. I luckily knew enough to know that 99% of the articles I read in JSTOR were incorrect. Mm -hmm. And who were the authors? Jews, right? So that's the circle of hate and ignorance that's going around. And then it's no wonder what's going on right now. And you're right. So we're talking about like the Jewish day school system. I, I have no connection to that, but I'm horrified. What is going on? And why? What's going
1: on, um, you know, is that Jewish day schools have taken on, have really taken on this idea of tikkun olam Mm -hmm. and completely perverted it. Um, Jewish day schools, I'll give you an example. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a Jewish day school not too far from where I live a very prominent one in Los Angeles. And um, I was inside it and um, there was a huge wall and it said, we remember Kristallnacht. Kristallnacht, right? Mm -hmm. And and I asked somebody in the lobby, oh, what is this? Oh, this is a school project that we're doing in honor of Holocaust remembrance. We are talking about Kristallnacht. And I thought, okay. So I approached the wall and there's little like stickers and each sticker says, Because of Kristallnacht, I will not um, stand for and whatever they won't stand for. And the answers were Islamophobia, gun violence, uh, racism, rape. Um, Not one said anti-Semitism, which is why Kristallnacht happened. Right. Not one student wrote, because of Kristallnacht, I will not stand for anti-Semitism. For everything but It's heartbreaking, really, that Jewish day schools, people send their kids to these schools to become very literate in Jewish history and Jewish ideas and to to become strong Jews, come out of those schools, sometimes hating, hating the Jewish people, hating Israel. I mean, it's not, it's no secret, this is public information, that the founders of places like, if not now, come from
0: Jewish day schools? I was shocked when I heard that. I remember someone telling me, actually, I didn't know that information, but I'm just shocked about the Jewish day schools, right? Like you, and I hate to say this, like you expected from, let's say, universities, right? Like it's confluence of, you know, different um, populations. Okay, fine. Oh, not that it's okay, but okay. Like at least like you can sort of understand. But Jewish day schools should be the last, Stand should be the last place that that would even happen. Like that should never happen there. And when someone told me that their daughter was having anti-Israel propaganda spewed at her at a Jewish day school, I thought she was joking. Like I'm like, did you drink a little bit <laughs> before you told me? Like I had no idea. And then I heard more and more stories, and I, I'm just shocked. Do you? So what do you see? Like has it reached just a crescendo, and then the only place to go from here is? back to reality or do you think that that's just unfortunately the path that they're going to keep going on?
1: I think that a lot of parents are waking up in general due to actually COVID because mm-hmm. the classroom came into your home basically and people got an a, 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 a awakening of, uh, of, of, of what is happening in the classrooms in general. And I work with, uh, you know, Jewish teens Most of the teens that we work with do not go to private schools. They go to public schools, not because their parents do not want them to to send them there for ideological reasons, but perhaps it's too expensive. But what is happening is it's getting really, really bad. But I think, I think slowly Jews, Jewish um, institutions are waking up to the idea that maybe they're getting it wrong. Maybe this consensus and they made a consensus Jewish day schools that they're not going to talk about the conflict because it's too upsetting we don't want to ruffle the feathers because you know we've got private schools, they're in bed with whoever funds them. And we don't wanna upset this family that's really wealthy and we don't wanna upset that family. And so we're just not gonna to touch the conflict. What we're gonna do is we're gonna talk about innovation nation. We're gonna talk about cherry tomatoes. We're gonna to talk about all this wonderful stuff that you know irrigation drip system that Israel does. And this is gonna be our robust Israel education program. And then, then what happens is these students, innocent students, Jewish kids with really great intentions go to college campus and go, woo, we've got these amazing cherry tomatoes. And we've got irrigation drip system. And somebody says to you, yeah, but they're all on stolen land. Exactly. Right. And, and, and what? I was no. lied to. There's the hashtag of, of if not not, if not now is no one ever told us or no one ever told me because they didn't want to discuss. Why didn't they? If they didn't want to discuss with us the conflict, there must be a reason that there's something that they're trying to hide. The Jewish establishment, the Jewish um, educators, and it's a, it was a mistake. And I think that a lot of, I do think that a lot of Jewish institutions are coming around uh, just kind of trying to think, maybe we need to talk about the conflict, maybe, mm-hmm. you know, but even how they're talking about the conflict is really problematic,
0: um, really problematic. And we and can I get to that if you want, but. Yeah, and I think even before, well, you know, what I think about even the term conflict, right, because, To me, I am vehemently against the, like I used to, but then, but then like, you know, the more I did research and I said to myself, it's not a conflict, right? Like a conflict is if let's say the U S and Canada had a border dispute, right? Like we're like-minded countries. We're not engaged in terrorism. We don't hide behind women and children. Canada, Canada does not do the same, right? I mean, well, who knows uh, if Trudeau and his party (laughs) were to be in power much longer, but how they would happen but like culturally like we're we're very similar it's not it can't be a conflict right because the jews and the arab i'm not saying the innocent arabs i'm talking about the terrorist organizations and and israeli um and israeli government it's not the same culture it's not the same values whatsoever right like you have you know the idea of protecting civilians and you have terrorists in both Gaza, right. And Judea and Samaria, right. Like human shields, right. Like using, you know, like sacrificing their kids, basically sacrificing the women. So how is that a conflict? Right. And then also it's not a conflict because it's not over like a little border dispute. Like I understand, like, you know, let's say like Jordan and Israel were to have a little tiff about, I don't know, some kind of border situation. Okay, fine. That's a conflict. But
1: you well, see, like the war
0: against the Jews, it really is because what? First of all, what, what's in Hamas's charter, right? It's annihilation of Jews. They, they don't. I mean, of course, like, they are against Israel, but literally, they said like against all Jews. Like, they don't care where Jews live. They're against Jews here in New York. They're against Jews in Mexico, like anywhere. And the ultimate goal is to erase Israel off the map. And you see, like you, you go online, anyone can go on Instagram, on Facebook. A lot of people who claim that they're Palestinians even though, and we can get into that later, it is so easy to actually really understand where a person is from that claims that they're Palestinian just by their last name. You can Google their last name and it says, this last name is in Syria, in Iraq, in Saudi Arabia. But, okay, fine. So these people who claim they're Palestinians, oftentimes they'll post maps of what we know is, is Israel and they'll say, this is Palestine. And they're not just earmarking Judea and Samaria, which people obviously incorrectly assume is Palestine, like like I did, you know, uh, decades ago, but they'll have the entire map of Israel. So how how is this a conflict? It's a war. It's a war against Jews, right? Because if this was just anti-Israelis, Jews would not get attacked here in the States for supporting Israel. Absolutely. So in terms of, you know, so these Jewish day schools, so something I was thinking about too, and I, I think we, we need to talk about it, the Jewish celebrities, right? Like you have Natalie Portman that talks badly about Israel, even though she was born in Israel, you had, I don't know if you remember that um, podcast that Seth Rogen did a couple of years ago, he was just spewing nonsense on the podcast. And yes, like the podcaster was Jewish, but it was a very public multi million viewer audience. And so I was thinking, oh my gosh, like if I didn't know my facts and I'm listening to this, I would think Israel is like the worst country in the world. But to juxtapose that, luckily, you have non Jewish celebrities that are very pro Israel. Like you have um, Pharrell, you know, the producer and the singer, he gave a lot of money to FIDF, very vocal support of Israel. You have 50 Cent, who loves going to Israel, like has done multiple performances there. You have Quentin Tarantino, he married an Israeli, has now two children in Israel. He's learning Hebrew. He'll go on these talk shows and he'll proudly say like, yeah, like I live in Israel and I love the the Israelis and I'm learning Hebrew. Tarantino does that. Jay Leno, right? Like Jay Leno has done multiple fundraisers, you know, like for Israel, especially during war times. So to me, it just, I mean, I'm proud that they're doing that, but it's also sad that there seems to be like more non-Jews who have that proverb that proverbial loudspeaker than, than Jews who are pro-israel. Absolutely. Mm-hmm.
1: Um yes and I would just say you know I and this is what I say to students these influencers, these uh stars, um they they shouldn't be a source of of information they 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 they're unfortunately they should they're they're great at what they do and let the educators and let the the the, the people who know you know the writers the, the people who understand the historians let them um dispense information i think that it's not a good thing in general for us to be get, getting our information from celebrities it's it's weird it's mm-hmm. it's it's not good it's not a good sign that the society is, 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 is a society that's very self-reflective and, and it's, it's a little bit superficial. So I don't put as much weight on them because I think that they just don't matter as much. And I, I kind of
0: don't, I don't see them as a threat. So I kind of will push back a little bit just from my perspective and not to say that you're wrong. I just, from my angle, not that they're a source of, let's say education but they are covered widely. Right. So when you have celebrities that engage in BDS, whether they're Jewish or non-Jewish, it makes waves, right? Like when you have Brianna a couple of years ago who said, Oh, I was excited to go to Israel, but then I couldn't perform in Palestine. I'm like, where the hell's Palestine? But you think there's a, okay, fine. So she canceled because she didn't want to offend quote unquote, both sides right? You have Ed Sheeran who canceled a concert in Israel, but then you have other celebrities who uh, I think it was, who was it? Selena Gomez, right? So those actions are widely covered. And so like someone maybe like, is not looking for those, to those celebrities for any type of education, but let's say you're a fan of, I don't know. I mean, I'm like much older than her fan base, but Selena Gomez, you'll say, huh, if Selena canceled her show in Israel, For ideological reasons, I'm never going to go to Israel, right? Because like Israel's some kind of horrible country. So it does. But do they see
1: celebrities as somehow their, you know, rabbi or their, you know, litmus test of what's more moral? That's it's a little bit like, I don't know if 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 I um, if I go to a coffee shop and I find out Mm -hmm. that the the coffee shop is uh, anti-Israel, I'll just I just won't go to that coffee shop, but I won't. I'll have my own critical thinking skills, you know, just because, you know, let's say somebody loves, uh, I don't know, Rihanna and she didn't come to Israel. I would hope that we wouldn't, that we wouldn't be so swayed as to think, oh, well, if Rihanna doesn't go to Israel then there must be something wrong. I mean, it's just, but I don't know, maybe I'm out of touch with the generation of of celebrities, of of, people.
0: yeah, and you brought up a good point, right? Because, like, like for example, like I I mean, I now have a rabbi, but because, you know, like I'm not religious, like I don't go to my rabbi for advice, right? Like I'll go to other sources for advice. And so, like, of course, like the regular person's not going to celebrities for advice, but they'll make that little mental note, right? Like, oh, okay, so that happened. Then why should I support Israel? Like, and I'm not saying it's a major part of their life or that they're taking so much time to think about it but it makes a little mental note. And it's and, and where it makes a difference, when Israel is in the news, those people who, let's say, follow these anti-Semitic celebrities, whether Jewish or non-Jewish, mm-hmm. they're the ones who are on Twitter, right? Like, when I think someone said it's only 5% of Americans that are on Twitter, right? But it's those 5% that do being left, that, do, that are surrounded by that anti-Israel sentiment, by misinformation, and they're the loudest voices. And then their tweets if they're American get spread around the world and then they're just amplified you know by other Jew haters worldwide so sometimes there is that question and Paul and then I always wanted to address this with someone who I greatly admire and respect which obviously is you where the hell are the Jewish organizations like you know ADL currently ZOA Hillel like even the the w um, what's it called the world zionist congress the world zionist organization um there was someone who posted something about the world zionist congress i was absolutely appalled so there were elections for the wzc a couple years ago and i participated and the point the goal was to make it from left-leaning to right-leaning and we succeeded whoever voted in that election And so they had these various representatives. And one of my uh, online friends is one of those representatives. So he said to the governing committee, okay, now we have this right-wing block. Can we please work on programming for Judea and Samaria? Can we get funding for that? And they refused. The World Zionist Congress refused to engage in anything related to Judea and Samaria. It, it was just astounding it, It's very painful mm-hmm.
1: It's a very painful topic um, because it's it's like you know the Jewish it's a fam, we're a family you know and mm-hmm. so when we have our family members who are doing such damage mm-hmm. it's it's painful. Um, so it's very it's a painful topic and I, it's also a topic that has made me angry over the years. Um, in particular, I for many, many years was angry with the ADL because they were not addressing anti-Semitism appropriately. They were conflating anti-Semitism with racism, which I think is so so wrong. it's so it's such a misguided view of 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 who the Jewish people are and what we're right now. We're you know, so if I may, racism is the idea that you hate another human because of their, racial uh, features they're subhuman Mm -hmm. but anti-semitism is such a wily um form of hate such a tricky form of hate that jews are both superhuman and subhuman at the same time it's
0: like they need to make up their mind right like do we control the universe or are we like the worst of the worst and we're incapable of doing it you know like which which is which because i'd like to know
1: well well that's why rabbi Sachs, of blessed memory wrote a very, very important short piece where he, he was the one who said that antisemitism is a virus and it's one of the most mm-hmm. dynamic, but also really, um, like it's, it's a quote unquote great virus in the sense that it can mutate to fit whatever the society right now deems as immoral or is wrong, right? But this idea of conflating antisemitism with racism People do not hate Jews today because they think Jews are subhuman. Quite the opposite. It's about power. It's about being controlling, uh, having privilege. It has nothing to do with the race. And for many years, I was very, very angry at their, uh, once again, conflation of the two. And then the second thing is they would not even use the term antisemitism. They started. They do now. But it would be called um, anti-hate week or against bullying or against intolerance. And I was why can't you say that we're against anti-Semitism? Why can't you just come out and use that word? Um, that would make me angry for so long. Um, for many, many years, when I myself got into this, um, uh, what I do now was through my research into anti-Semitism. And of course, the first thing I went to was the ADL. And one of the things that I encountered was something that they go into to middle schools and high schools and they teach about this hate pyramid. It's a pyramid of hate and how hate manifests itself. But it was nothing unique to being a Jew. So I could, that hate pyramid could be, it's a one size fits all, racism, um, homophobia, Islamophobia, anti-Semitism. And 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 it unfortunately, it's, it's it's not helpful. I apologize, but it's not helpful.
0: So something you mentioned before that I, I think it's so important to hone in on, and I'm going to add to it a little bit. So you said that, you know, anti the FBI crime statistics. They only focus on crimes against the religious aspect of Judaism, right? And that's why, you know, let's say a student is being harassed on campus because they support Israel, they don't consider that to be anti-Semitic, right? Because it's an Israel-related issue, like nothing religious was related. And so, I'm so thankful for to President Trump what he did and his administration passed had Title Six, which got so much backlash from the left, right? Because they were accusing Trump of being anti-Semitic and evoking Holocaust imagery because what they did, it was correct. Like they labeled Jews as a race and any, and like you were saying, so any um, assault or or harassment against Jews and it, from a racial point of view, not just from a religious point of view, they now have the power to sue that institution, that federal institution. Amazing. I thought it was that- amazing. Absolutely. It was a game changer. And so something else that we did not talk about off the record, but I think it's so important. And I, I hone in on this all the time. Yes. What happened to us in the Shoah? Horrific. Right. But with the Nazis and so like people conflate, right? Because the Nazis used race. Now, a lot of Jews don't want to touch that word. Right. So what the Nazis got right is that Jews are a race. So what they got vehemently and evilly wrong, of course, is that they categorized us as a subhuman race. And so I think it's time, especially for American Jews to get away from that fear of the word race, because until they do, those Jews will always look at us like, oh, it's just a religion. It's just a religion and will diminish the importance of Israel. Within our peoplehood or or diminish the importance of connecting Jews as a people to the homeland of Israel. And so to me, what I see and I was disappointed, right, because I I remember at one point and you're going to laugh when I tell you this. 2013, 2014 were very interesting years for me, right? Like I'm protesting Sharansky, then suddenly I'm posting videos from Israel with rockets flying over, Mm -hmm. questioning CNN. So 2013, I heard about APAC for the first time ever. Like I had no idea what APAC was. I heard about them, and I and I was scared of them. I was like, oh my gosh, they're right wing. There, and I, I was like a Republican light, like, like politics weren't even like big in my, in my life, but yes, yeah, so I was scared of APAC, like they're right-wing, they're so, they're like too pro-Israel, like that, that, that scared me. And I joined, right? Like I joined them maybe like a year later and I left for various reasons, but when I left in 2015, they were still fairly pro-Israel or so I thought, right? I had no idea that them promoting an, a two-state solution was anti-Semitic. No idea, because I didn't know the history. And so like now we all see what APAC has devolved into, right? Like it took a completely like leftist like spin and they're still pushing this anti-Semitic two-state solution. Um, you know, they are not explaining anything about Israeli history. They tout just whatever the popular, usually leftist policy of, of the U.S. is like towards Israel and their legislative efforts, I think, are horrific. Because I, I talk to legislators that have been on their trips, and I would say, like, oh, like you know, where do they take you? They don't take them to Judea and Samaria. I Not, know. not one trip. I know. And none of these organizations do, right? Like, I, I'm not going to mention certain ones. I'll mention others. But I've been to Israel with various, you know, Jewish organizations. JNF being one of them. And it's something that I've even talked to about with Russell Robinson. I said, like, you know, it'd be like really nice if JNF could go to Judea and Samaria. And the first time I went was with Habad, with JLI in 2018. I just felt so rooted, like I've never had in my life, standing on those hills in Judea and Samaria. Like you literally feel like your Judean ancestors' blood, like rushing through your veins I didn't even know like anything about Hebron, right? Which is one of the four holy cities. And I was thinking, why does Israel hold on to Hebron? They're spending so much money in their military for what, you know, 3% of the entire population of Hebron is Jewish. Like, like why, like why can't they just like give away the land? And then you go to Hebron and then you realize like take away Hebron, you might as well give all of Israel away, right? Like Tel Aviv is not historic Israel, Hebron, Jerusalem, Tiberias spot. So I think, from my perspective, what these organizations are really failing their members. And one of the reasons I left COA, which was seen as this like beacon of Zionism for years, is that lately they just want to appease. They just want to appease what's ever popular in their culture. They'll say Palestinians, they'll say West Bank, they'll say even settlements sometimes. They'll say asinine terms like green line, um, it, it, like set settlers. Like how could any Zionism Zionist organization see settlers? And they do. And they're just patting themselves on the back. Like, Oh yeah. Like we support Israel. We raise this amount of money, but then you do what with it? You know, like I want to see action. I don't want to see that you raise $10 million. Like good for you. What, What are you doing with that? And that's one of the reasons, the only organizations I stay loyal to despite some criticism that I have of them and I've made my voice heard JNF, right? Because at least like the money they raise, at least they have projects in the ground and you you see them like, physically. But I was thinking like, how much money did I give to the ZOA? How much money did I give to Emmett? How much money did I give to APAC when I was part of it? And for what, right? Like it's just continuing the status quo and, and making it worse even. Right,
1: um, look, I was just the other day just looking at I think I was speaking with you off the record that if Mm -hmm. if if a historian were to write about our moment or the last 20 years let's say some you know a historian were to 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 capture this moment they'd say it was a very curious moment that the jewish jews in America were living in as the graph was going up as as anti-semitism was surging there was more. There are more and more Jewish organizations that are um, there to quote unquote fight anti semitism or combat it, and yet we don't see the anti semitism go down. We keep on seeing the growth. So something is not
0: something. People are not getting it right. I'm absolutely with you. Right? Like I was th- talking about this with a friend too. The more Jewish organizations exist, the more <laughs> it seems that these uh, anti semitic incidents are happening all over. And that's why, again, like, I'm so thankful for your work in Club Z. So what I wanted to know, and I think it would be really useful for the audience, what was missing in the space that, or what is missing in the space that the Club Z is filling in?
1: So I'm not the founder of uh, Club Z. Um, the founder is Masha Markulova, and she's a, an amazing, amazing visionary and also an unapologetic Zionist. And... You know she would probably be an amazing guest to have by the way um so she could tell her own story but i think if i were just to
0: speak organizationally i think yeah, it was like from your you know from of, my like, perspective yeah, like you I, probably you, know, you probably work there you're a director of education so and you know like you could have probably worked anywhere right like well i was in a, i was in the university teaching russian language and right. literature before this so right, but like some something must
1: have Well, I saw that the Jewish kids, I saw that the Jewish organizations on campus are not helping or that it's not getting better. Um, I saw that things are just not getting better. And um, I decided that, you know, it's too late once we get to college. We need to get to them in high school. And I really wanted to start something, you know, just something of my own. And somebody said, why? There's this amazing woman who's already started. It. And I was like, Oh, great. I don't want to start an organization. Right, right. I remember I called her and I remember I flew up and I met these um, teens. Um, and I thought, Oh my God, these, these, these teens are bright. They're, mm-hmm. they're thirsty for knowledge. They want to be, they, they, they really want to stand up for themselves as Jews. And, and what I saw in this organization was unlike I had anything I'd seen in the Jewish world, which is a very unapologetic take on what it means to be a Jew. I'm not gonna apologize. I'm not going to take crumbs, as, as Masha likes to say sometimes. You know, um, it's, what I saw in this was an, a, an amazing kind of um, initiative. And then what I brought into it was an edu- this educational um, curriculum. Our curriculum rests on these three pillars, one of which is peoplehood, Zionism, and advocacy. And I know you don't love the word advocacy. We could discuss that. But these are our three pillars in the sense that we first work on who are the Jews. We have to really shape and mold these young minds to understand who it is, who are they representing, who it is, does it mean to be a Jewish person? Um, Once we get uh, through that, we start going into the land of Israel, both ancient and modern and the reestablishment of modern day Israel. But what is unique about our approach is that it's conceptually it's it originates in concepts so for instance one concept that we teach at club Z is that every everybody has an agenda everyone even i I, naya have an agenda every organ and if an organization tells you they don't have an agenda they're lying they're lying lying. everybody has an agenda the question is can you pick up that agenda are you able to pick it up with your as i say antennas and so one of the things that we have is kind of like language 101 you know, there's there's a whole session we do just on maps. Mm-hmm. At Judea, Samaria, West Bank, Occupied Territory, Disputed Territory, Palestine. Five terms for a little sliver of land. Mm-hmm. Just by words alone, you can get to the agenda. I tell my students, you know, if you're on college campus and you see a poster and it says Judea, Samaria, colon, then and now versus um, West Bank, then and now, you know exactly where the people stand on the issue of, as you say, the war on the Jews. Um, so so, so I, we bring to them a curriculum that's not rooted in kind of like, well, you know, you need to know Herzl and you need to know Golda Meir and you need to know about this battle and you need to know about that battle, but it's it originates in concepts. Like, what does it mean to be a people? What does it mean to be an ethno-religion? Um, why is language a window into agenda? How can you pick up agenda? Um, how can maps, something as innocuous as a map, can be used to manipulate history? Um, so, so that is our unique approach and, and, and to, 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 to helping these kids advocate. I know you don't love this term. And if you want, we can get to
0: that. I will clarify. So the way you use it, I actually do agree with it. I don't agree with it in how many adults use it. And, and I'll, I'll go into it in a little bit. So.
1: In the Jewish nonprofit space, especially Israel space, advocacy is seen as a dirty word, because if you want to be an Israel educator in the pure sense of the word, an educator, this is how they think they think, well, an educator gives you a a plethora of choices, many narratives, the Zionist narrative, the Arab narrative, the Palestinian narrative, the Christian narrative, the atheist narrative all narratives and they're kind of presented to the students and the students make choices and i think that's that's educational malpractice nobody's against narratives nobody's against narratives narratives are very important but we need to first have axioms like truths jews are from judea okay arabs are not so we need to have these foundational axioms and then we can bring in the narratives now why why advocacy advocacy in the sense that we're using it is standing up for yourself as a Jew. Mm-hmm. Standing up for yourself and saying, no, you're a liar. That's a lie. And I'm going to tell you why that's a lie. Sorry, professor. I'm going to raise my hand and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to correct you. You are standing up for your basic right. And, and I'll just, I'll, I'll tell you this. I do this experiment with my students. I, I come up to one of them and I say, you know, I just saw your mom shoplifting. I said, I just saw your mom shoplifting. Mm-hmm. And they go, what? Yeah. Yeah. I said, I I saw her in the store. I saw her shoplifting and they get really angry and they go, no. And I said, what do you mean? No. Are you doubting my uh, perception? I'm a witness. I saw it. And they go, not my mother. My mother would never do this. I know my mother. And they get upset and they start advocating for their mother. That is the type of advocacy that what I'm talking about. But that's
0: exactly yeah that's exactly why I agree with you the way you said it I had my aha moment because exactly like if you're a college student if you're a high school student you are obviously confronted with a lot of false information so like you said like you physically need to like raise that hand at, you know maybe create your own uh, Zionism group that, that that's actually I'll call it this actionable Zionism advocacy why I'm against the term and maybe I've conflated it with defending Israel because I hate that term. And because, you know, like where I work primarily is in the online space, right? So what I see a lot of adults do, not teenagers, because there are no teenagers on Instagram and and Facebook um, at this time or LinkedIn, they'll just defend Israel as if Israel needs defending. Right. And so like, if you're defending Israel, you're coming from a place where okay, who needs defending someone or something that does something wrong, right? And is Israel perfect? Absolutely not, nor should it be because it's a country like any other. It's a massive double standard that not only Israel has to be perfect without any blemishes, but that Jews have to be these perfect specimens of humans. And that that in and of itself is anti-Semitism. And so I'll see people not post anything educational, but then like, let's say there's something in the media that's anti-Israel, they'll just like start defending Israel and then they'll like literally say it's like I'm defending Israel. I'm so proud. It's proud. And I'll say, how does it look to other people? First of all, how does it look to non-Jews? How does it look to Jews who don't know much about Israel? You know, when I was in that anti-Israel space, I would see those defending Jews and I would say, this sounds really shady to me, right? Like why are you defending a country? They must be doing something that's that's not right. That's what I mean about I, I entirely agree with you. Uh,
1: you know when I speak to parents and I show them our curriculum, some parents kind of go, well, that's a lot. you guys are talking a lot about Israel or the Middle Eastern conflict. sorry the term conflict. but I say, well, that's where anti-Semitism resides today. Mm-hmm. That's the only reason it's about fighting anti-Semitism. If anti-Semitism was about Estonia, we'd be experts on Estonian history. but right now, Anti-Semitism is about Israel. It, that's just where it resides today. And so that's why we need to become very knowledgeable, understand the terms, because you're not standing up for Israel. You're standing up for your you for you
0: as a Jew. Absolutely. And, and like, like I said before, and I'll, I cannot stop saying it, we, you and I, right? Like if you and I stop doing this, let's say tomorrow, right? Like we wake up, we're like, you know what? Just screw this. We're going to become Broadway dancers. <laughs> let's just say Israel's still going to be thriving, right? It's still going to be the eighth most powerful country in the world. Still going to have a kick-ass uh, economy, better than the America's right now. Still going to have a world-class military, the best spy agency in the world. Uh, Fifty-four now, you know, uh, tech unicorns—they're good, right? Like they're—they don't need you and me, right? Or the hundreds of other Zionists. And exactly what we're doing—we are—we're com- we're in the combating anti-Zionism space. That's what we're doing. Yes, we are. And and that that's why, I th- I mean, I'm not going to speak for you, but that's what drives me, right? And, and especially Israelis, like, have you, uh, I want to turn this question to you um, after I'll give my little take on this. I was in Israel, well, this past trip, I, I've been to Israel now six times, but two trips ago, I was talking to this Israeli in Israel and, you know, we were just talking. He's like, oh, so what do you do? I told him and he kind of, like moved away a little bit. And I said, oh, like, is is that a problem? Because I said like, oh, look, I'm an Israel advocate. And he said, like, so you do Israel Hasbara. That's like not what we need. um, You know, like you American, like he clumped everyone together. He's like, you American Jews just love to patronize like Israel and and treat us like your little brother. You know, like it's really demeaning. And so I think hearing that Turned my perspective around on that word, right? So, I do want to talk to you like just very briefly, just in the interest of time, the word Hasbar, right? So, you know, Israel says that they engage in Hasbar, which they actually mean PR, but then a lot of Israelis like revile that word. And now I also don't like that word, right? it's like, again, like I have to, to explain. Exactly, right? Because like I worked in advertising and PR within that. And so what did we need PR for when like, you know, one of our clients did something wrong and they needed fixing. Right. Or if you have like a lackluster product, you need to push it out, you know, with force. So I like to say that I'm educating. Right. And so like, you know, for me, like I do put the history of the land of Israel and the Jewish people out on a platter, like, but I'm not saying like, oh, this perspective and that perspective is like, to me, there's no perspectives history is history and the good, the bad, and the ugly. Right. So like, you know, I will mention that in, in my classes that there was a racism against Mizrahi Jews. That's something that's not talked about. Right. And I think that's something else that a lot of Zionism educators get wrong is that they paint Israel just so perfectly, like, it just like, so like Israel's the best and Israel can do no wrong. And the best country in the world is Israel. That's not right either. Right. Like, or, what happened to, let's say the Yemenite, you know, children and their kidnapping in the 1950s, that needs to talk, talked about there, there are issues, you know, there, or like, you know, what about, um, the Jewish community, they contribute so much, like, you know, in the military and society, their infrastructure is not the best. And like, we can talk a little bit more, you know, you know, in a different space, like, you know, is all the money being appropriated properly? Or is not enough money given to certain communities, right? But that's something that all countries face, like well, America especially, right? Like why are some many rural communities like not properly, you know, hooked up to technology and like water crises crises are happening? And given that Israel spends so much money on defense, the fact that they even can give anything, you know, to certain communities, that that's also a positive thing. So I guess what I'm trying to say is that. It's the semantics that we choose to say. And again, like I completely understand. Like you know, from your for your demographic, advocacy absolutely fits my demographic. I just like to shy away from that term because I don't want anyone who comes in. And again, like you know, my demographic is all over the place, right? Like it could be uh, young adults, it could be older people, could be Muslims, could be Jews and Christians. I just don't want them to get a sense that I'm they're just chilling for Israel because I'm not.
1: Mm-hmm. I, compl- I understand what you're saying. I'm not yeah. in agreement. Um, I mean, you said a lot of different things. Uh, I tend to not, pers- I don't, a, I don't know enough about the domestic issues that Israel faces. And I tend to not, I, I have no authority to tell Israel what it should do, what problems it has and what, how it should solve those problems. I'm I'm, I'm not a citizen, unfortunately. Um, I live thousands of miles away. Um, it's for me, it's part of uh, my identity. It, when I say advocacy, it's about advocating for me as a Jew.
0: Exactly. Oh yeah. And I would never, and like, it's, I agree. Like I don't consider myself an Israeli. I'm not, I don't pay taxes. I never served the IDF, but what I mean, like if people, you know, they'll ask like, oh, so what's your, perspective on what Israel did to the Mizrahi Jews, right? Like, do you think that's racist? I'll be honest, but I won't just give my opinion. I'll give facts. So that's what I mean. Like not shying away from from history. I understand. Right. Exactly. So we talked a lot about what's wrong in the space. So I'd like to end the conversation on a more positive note. Um, Are there people and other groups that you do admire? Besides club Z and, and taking back the narrative. Um, but it could be individuals as well. Like, or, or like, is someone like on your radar or some people on your radar that you think are doing a good job? Um,
1: well, first of all, I just want to say that I have to teach a class in like three minutes.
0: Yes, we're definitely wrapping up. Okay, sorry. Yeah. Um, I...
1: In terms of, I think everybody's is doing what they can from their own, um, where they're from, where they're sitting from their vantage point at this point in time, I'm not, I, I don't know enough about all the, I know that the, the organizations that we spoke about, but you know, um, I've never been one to be, uh, uh, you know, uh, admiring any you know online advocacy but I've been online on um, Instagram and I come across amazing accounts of people who are just so fierce and I just I have this dream that like one day all of us will have like a mini conference all these fierce Zionists who are just they're, they're not afraid to say what, what we're all thinking um, and so those are some of the accounts that that I love but um, at this
0: point in time I don't know I don't know, I, I don't know. I don't have an answer for you. And that's fair. Um, So I will quickly offer a couple of mine um, that I really admire. So AFSI, Americans for Safe Israel, they do amazing work all over Judea and Samaria um, through education, through projects on the ground. I also love the One Israel Fund because, again, they talk about that it's One Israel. Judea and Samaria is the ancestral heartland of Israel. They don't separate it out as some kind of foreign entity. And something or some group that no one talks about too often Muslim Zionists, like some of the, yeah, some of the proudest most informative accounts that I personally follow and that I, you know, still get educated on it. It's from Muslims. You're
1: you're absolutely correct. I did forget. There are absolute amazing young men, women out there young Muslim voices, uh, who are Zionists, um, who I just, I admire so much.
0: They're incredible. Uh, and and a couple of people that I would, okay. We mentioned, uh, Muhammad Kabia. for those who know him, please yes. continue to support him. If you don't, please look him up. He's very active on Instagram, especially, uh, then there is, um, oh my gosh, uh, the name escapes me right now, but, uh, Hussein Abu Bakr amazing thing right and and he also like had that transformation from a would-be terrorist in egypt to hafiz there's that amazing young man as well
1: um Yaya Yaya mahmoud oh he's great he's one of my favorite amazing Mm amazing zionist muslim voices and 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 they really are in many ways one of my hopes for the future they
0: they really are and it's like what you know the reason like you know i'm so and and my initiative is pro-muslim pro-arab because first of all i understand that not all of the 1.6 billion Muslims in the world are anti-Israel. They're, they're not. In fact, look what's happening in Iran with all the, protest, all the protesters. Not every single protester, but the majority of, pro- of people who are protesting the terrorist regime, they're pro-West and they're pro-Israel. And one of the things they're protesting, of course, human rights comes first and, and freedom of, of uh, clothing, freedom of religion, all that. But on their list, maybe a little bit further down, is that they hate that their country is sponsoring terrorism against Israel. They they hate it. And and you can see the videos. You know, um, the regime would put down uh, flags of Israel and they would burn it and they would force people to step on the flags of Israel and Mm -hmm. the people who are against the regime will like step gingerly around it, you know, and they could be arrested for, for doing so. So those people are brave, and there's—and I say this, there's a lot more of them, you know, Muslims in the world than there are Jews. So I think if anyone is going to start turning the tide I away agree. from anti-Semitism, it's going to be that population. Absolutely, I agree with you. Yeah. So I, I think more I collaboration. Think, is- I just—I I, want to say that
1: this is a gut feeling. This isn't something substantiated by data or vast uh, readings. But my gut feeling tells me that right now, the individuals who are the greatest obstacle to peace are not um, actually Arab voices, but they are Western leftist voices who are completely um, uh, uneducated or or hold just terrible views about about the Jewish people and just don't know the history. They're the biggest
0: problem. And and that includes ourselves. And like you said, like, if not now, right. So like we need to first know who we are before we look at anyone else expecting them to be pro Israel. Right. Like we, we need to have that strength and we were talking about so much. And that's been like, you know, the theme of this podcast episode, Zionism through strength, like having the confidence to know our own historical facts, knowing with great, um, Confidence that we are from the land of Israel. We're Judeans, right? Like, we're not just some random people without a homeland. Why we have that connection, explaining that clearly, knowing the right terminology, and like, you know, Club Z, like, you know, knowing how to advocate, you know, like when you're faced with that adversity, whether you're on campus or in a work environment or even, you know, online, like how to handle all that and not believing the lies like I did for 20 years. And sometimes it's those people who come from one side, believing all the lies can be great advocates when they finally see the, the historical light and the Zionism light. So I want to thank you so much. This has been a very comprehensive talk and one that's needed, right? Like I feel like it's so secretive and Maybe some people are thinking ab- about this, you know, topic, you know, like what's wrong with Zionism education today, but there's this fear to talk about it, right? Like in this PC culture that we live in, but the band needs to be ripped off and we need to address it. And, and I thank you for,
1: for doing so. I think it's really
0: important. I think what you're doing
1: is really important. So thank you so mm-hmm. much. Really, thank you for inviting me and, and speaking about Zionist education. And I love the title, it needs an overhaul <laughs>
0: And I I think we're, we're part of it and thank you for all that you do. And oh my gosh, like I, I wish, or if you have that speech saved from that conference of the AZM, it wasn't even written. I don't know what I said. Or like a recording of it. Like that, oh my it sparked a fire underneath me. So you, you, you're doing amazing work and, and, you know, I look forward to working with you in the future and uh, we're going to continue having many conversations. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Have a good night. Bye.